All right, should we open our Bibles, please, to Exodus chapter 2? Alexander is ministering up at uh, Lighthouse Church in Johannesburg. Uh, he's been there well, since Thursday. He's going to be ministering next week. Um, if you are new to us or maybe missed last week, we have kicked off a series. I'm just opening my notes, if I may. On the gospel of the kingdom. Reimagining and rediscovering the paradigm and the power and the purpose of the kingdom of God. And Alexander's ministering next week. But it's my privilege today to speak to you and share with you some more cool things about the kingdom. Shall we pray together? Jesus, thank you so much that you are with us. And thank you that we cannot exaggerate how much you love us. We know that you are with us right now, and we ask that you would grow us and unpack the kingdom of God inside of our hearts and our lives. In Jesus' wonderful name, amen. I said this last week, and you'll hear me say it on several occasions. Many decades ago, John Wimber, he was the pioneer and founder of the vineyard movement around the world, a man who got saved into the Quaker movement and learned to wait on God and do good in business and through business. And a man who spent time sitting under the tutelage of a great theologian, George Alden Ladd, and Fuller Seminary. He went through a process of relearning all things about what it is to be a Christian. And he said this, that once you get the kingdom, all the books have to be rewritten. What he meant by that was that when you grasp, even in its formative sense, the kingdom of God in its nature and its purpose, everything about your life will inevitably change. He was going on one trajectory and he began to discover as he, as he saturated his heart and his mind in understanding the different facets of the diamond of the kingdom of God, his life changed. His approach to Christianity, his approach to all of life, his approach to ministry, his approach to church changed. And I want to say this. Not only do I echo that, but I, in my little Ryan Matthews on the north coast in a shared way, agree with that. When you get the kingdom, everything changes. Life goes from HD to Ultra HD, and whatever will come out beyond Ultra HD, it is like everything switches on, and you just cannot live, act, think, behave, dream the same. Once you get the kingdom, you realize everything has to change. And as I said last week, if we are, and by the way, you can jump onto our YouTube channel and, and listen to that. To, if you need to play catch up, it's really important to listen to the introduction. But I said this very briefly last week. If we are to understand the kingdom of God, we need to spend time pouring over two aspects. One, the history of Israel. And number two, the person, the life, and the ministry of Jesus Christ in the flesh. And that's what we are going to be doing over the next couple of weeks 
and then spending a lot of time what it means to live out the acts of the kingdom of God as the church. Jesus, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, declared, Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. In Mark chapter 1, he said, The time is fulfilled. The kingdom of God has come. Repent and believe. Both Matthew and Mark use two words, repent, that are critical. In that time, when Jesus spoke, in that day and age, in that culture, in that society, they had an expectation of what the kingdom of God was, and they had reduced it to certain aspects. And the first word Jesus said was repent. Again, like I've said before, that doesn't mean stop being a naughty boy or girl. It means change your view about God, your life, and how you're meant to live with Him and for Him. And if we are to live in ever-expanding uh, 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 aspects of the kingdom of God, Freedom House, the spirit of repentance needs to well up inside of us where we start learning more about Jesus, more about His kingdom, and hence how we are meant to live our lives. Amen. Are you out there this morning? The gift of repentance is not a work of legalism. It is a work of grace. I want to say that. When Jesus comes knocking on my door and says, Rye, I want you to think differently. Rye, Pa, I want you to think differently. It is a gift. It is a moment of freshly discovering Jesus, freshly discovering how he wants us to live, and the results are what they are meant to be. But when the Jewish audience in the time of Jesus heard that phrase, repent for the kingdom of God, the word kingdom rang several bells. They had a view of the kingdom. Like we do today, if we say kingdom, we think of the queen who was and the king who now is. Isn't that true? We think of earthly monarchies. It's a trigger for us. We think of something. And in that day, when they heard kingdom of God, immediately the hearers pricked up. And they thought of a few things. Number one, they thought of the Exodus. They thought of Moses. They thought of David and Solomon. They thought of the prophetic expectation that came through many, many prophets speaking about the life of the kingdom of God. And that's why today we're going to stop and we're going to turn back and we're going to look at the first window, as Derek Morphew says, window into understanding the kingdom of God in the moment of the Exodus. And the Exodus, friends, is that moment in Israel's history where the people of God called in Abraham 430 some years prior that there was a destiny. Remember, God called Abraham out of pagan occultism, that there's something greater for you and you will be the father of many nations, not just an exalted father, but a father of many nations. And as the sea uh, the sand on the seashore is plentiful, so shall your offspring be, you remember that? And out of the loins of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the people of God developed. That's a whole other story to tell. All right? That God began to do a mighty work in them. But it is in the Exodus that they begin to discover who God truly is in fullness. In fact, 
as it says, we'll read the scriptures, they begin to discover the name that he will be known by forever and ever and ever. Amen. And that name is the name that we will discover today. Equally so, I want you to know this, that whilst we are discovering in this moment a window into the kingdom of God, it is not the entire picture because Israel, friends, is the expectation or the promise of the kingdom. In Jesus alone, I want to say it clearly, in Jesus alone, thank you for blowing the whistle on this, Jesus alone is the epitome and perfect representation of the kingdom of God. However, all of this percolates in history, pointing, pointing, pointing to Jesus and the kingdom of God. Are you ready to learn a little bit more about the kingdom in Exodus? I'm excited. Thank you. I'm so glad you are, Melissa. There is one thing that I want you to remember, and it's this. The Lord reigns. Can you say that? One more time. We inadvertently, we, not, we don't plan how we do stuff. We just know we're going to worship, we're going to preach, we're going to trust God. He's going to move and do things in our lives. But did you hear the theme in the worship? All hail the King. The Lord reigns forever and evermore. What Israel discovered in the Exodus is that there is one king, and his name is Yahweh. And I want you to remember that. There's some key things that I want you to hold in mind as we discover the name of Yahweh, the name of our king. All right? I want you to also listen out for God's covenant commitment. Say covenant commitment. Oh, this is so exciting. You're going to see how cool it is in a moment. And then finally, I want you to remember this and keep your ears open to this because it's insighted to not understanding the kingdom of God. We will see in the Exodus a major theme is God's confrontation of the powers. God confronting idols, demon gods, regional powers on behalf of his people. However, let's look at the account of the Exodus. Here you are. And your Bibles are open and my voice is sharp because I couldn't help it in worship once more. Exodus chapter 2, verse 23 says this. During that long period, the king of Egypt died. Friends, you've got to understand that post uh, the patriarchs moving down to spend time with Joseph, it was around 430 years. They had been in Egypt for 400 years and 30 years. The Israelites groaned in their slavery and cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. God heard their groaning, and look at this. He remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. So God looked on the Israelites and was concerned about them. This is an interesting little insight into the account of the Exodus as we discover the kingdom of God. I want you to hear this right from the get-go. The kingdom of God, as we will see, is God's initiation alone. It is not ours. It is His idea. It is His purpose. And it is by grace. There they were in bondage. In 430 years, I can imagine them learning how to worship Happy and sure and raw and getting up to no good. Have you ever thought 
why God had to make it clear at Sinai, in Exodus 20, how not to live. Simply because for 430 years, they had learned to be scallywags. They had forgotten the way of walking charismatically in the spirit with Yahweh, and they had taken on all different ways of living. Now you would think, oh, you've got to get it right. Like Puritan preparationism. If God's got to move, you've got to prepare the soil. I want you to know something in the story of the Exodus. That's not how it works. It is the God of covenant, of covenant grace and covenant commitment. The God of Abraham. He said something to Abram. He said it to Isaac. And he said it to Jacob, Israel. I'm committed to you. I have a purpose for you. And though you might give up, I never will. So even in chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 3, we see this. That the kingdom of God comes by grace. Never forget it. Yours is the kingdom by grace. Yours is the power by grace. Isn't that wonderful? And then we see in chapter 3, now Moses was tending flocks, the flocks of Jethro's father-in-law, the priest of Midian, and he led his flock to the far side of the wilderness, and he came to Horeb, because it was a horrible place, and the, mount, the mountain of God. No, it wasn't actually. It was nice. And the angel of the Lord, interesting. Look at this little insight. A lot of Jews nowadays don't believe that there's any inkling of the Trinity in the Old Testament. Now, I want you to just see this a little aside. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him in flames of fire from within the bush. When Moses saw that the bush was on fire and it did not burn up, Moses thought, I will go and see this strange sight. Why the bush does not burn up? And when the Lord saw that he had gone over to look, who, who, who was in the bush? The angel of the Lord? Oh, God called to him from within the bush. That means the angel of the Lord was God himself. Ah, uh, that's interesting. Anyway, little aside. And Moses said, here I am. Don't come, uh, come any closer. Take off your sandals, for the place where you're standing is holy ground. Then he said, I am the God of your father, the God of Abraham. Uh, remember, the God of covenant commitment. At this, Moses hid his face, and he was afraid to look at God. Verse 7, then the Lord said, I have indeed seen the misery of my people. Say, my people. You see, the kingdom of God, friends, is not only initiated in grace. It is all about the kingdom of God coming for God's people. You cannot have the kingdom without a people. We learned that last week when we looked at a, de a definition. Not only is the kingdom of God the rule and reign of God, it is the rule and reign of God amongst a family. And here we see God reaching in for the sake of his people. Fast forward to Exodus 20, where God redefines how people relate with him. It's a covenant moment. A covenant community is fashioned. Friends, the kingdom of God is by grace. But the kingdom of God is always in community. I want you to understand that. People say to me, you know, I saw it online and I actually nearly had a hissy fit. Said, I am the church. I want you to know something. I alone, as an individual on your lonesome, you are not the church. By intrinsic definition in nature, 
the church is the family of God, both local and universal. And equally so, when you are born again into the kingdom of God, you come into a local and global community. You cannot walk out the kingdom of God outside of God's covenant community. So I want to make that clear. Thank you, Keith Gates. Go hallelujah, brother. Amen. It's the truth. You cannot do it any other way. And this, friends, is already seen ahead of schedule in the Exodus. And so from verse 4 of chapter 3 to 15, something very interesting is said. Where is it? Verse 8. So I have come down to rescue them from the hand of the Egyptians and to bring them out of their slavery into a good and spacious land. Look at the language. I have come down to rescue, to bring them out, and to take them into. Look at that. I have come down to rescue, to bring them out, and to take them somewhere. That one line has so many little clues as to the nature and essence of the kingdom of God. I'm going to give a, a summation of this later, by the way. Number one, I want you to see this in the, this verse, that the kingdom of God, of God is inextricably linked to God's manifest presence. I have come down. Wow. People come to Freedom House and they go, hey, why are you so hungry for God's presence? Because we're learning that we're learning, that we're learning, that all of the kingdom of God is not based on lecture, not based on a meeting, not based on a good coffee. It's based on the divine manifest presence of God. And if we are hungry for anything, it's Him, because He is the manifestation of the kingdom of God. And God said, I have come down. We are not trying to be charismatic. We are not trying to be Pentecostal. We are convinced of creating space for his presence because the kingdom is therein. Paul later says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of burgers and bunny chows. The kingdom of God is righteousness, peace, and joy in whom? The Holy Spirit. He wasn't saying that because he was a charismatic Pentecostal. No, he understood that the kingdom of God is found in the manifest presence of God alone. And in verse 8, he says, I have come down. But then he equally reveals that he's not a charismatic Pentecostal, Holy Ghost, Holy Roller meeting attender. He has come down to presence himself to do something. There is a purpose. And that purpose is to redeem and deliver God's people and not leave them in their muck and their mire and their mayhem, but to bring them out and take them places. The kingdom of God is not just a momentary experience, friends, whilst we will have that. The kingdom of God is inextricably linked with His purpose unfolding in our lives. If you are not moving forward and you're running from one experience to the next, I want to say you have a small view of the kingdom of God. But if you are running around and you are encountering God and he's delivering and he's breaking off and, he's, and you say to him, Lord, I want to live for you. I want to go with you. I want to partner with your people. I want to see your kingdom come. We are learning together what the kingdom of God is. 
I'm excited this morning. Not only do we see presence and purpose, but we see a partnership. Because he says, yeah, I have come down. And then in verse 10, he says to Moses, so now you, Moses, go. Isn't that interesting? The kingdom of God and God coming down with purpose and power and all those cool things is always about God himself partnering with people in flesh and blood. Isn't that amazing? I love that. Hey, I've come down to rock the planet. I'm sending you. From the beginning of time, as we're going to discover throughout this unfolding series, God's one purpose, one of his purposes in us falling deeply in love with him was to share his rule with us. And here we see, and Alexander will no doubt will touch on that next week, I'm sure, that the kingdom of God is in partnership. Note how there is a mediator or a messenger in the flesh. Who or what does that foreshadow? Jesus. Equally so. It also foreshadows the church, but that's for later. Verse 10, Yahweh himself says, now go. The kingdom of God equally, as I've said, is wrapped up in commission. I want to say this as politely as I can. If commission or God's mission is not percolating and bubbling up in our lives, I'm going to ask the question, do we understand the nature and the, kingdom of, uh, and the essence of the kingdom of God? If we believe it's all about coming to church on a Sunday and having a cool kiff meeting and, you know, we're in a funky little shed and it's, you know, boutique and it's oh so different, yay. I want you to know something. That is merely churchianity. It's not kingdom Christianity. Because every single one of us, from Liberty all the way to the oldest Jerry in the church, Margie, every single one of us is called to be on commission with God. It's not for the wild few up front that are afraid, not afraid to lose their voices for God. It's every single one of us. Commission. Okay. Verse 14, I'm just moving through the landscape quickly. Verse 14, Moses had his, has a little moan, all right? What must I say? What must I do? Will they listen to me? God says to Moses, tell them, I, my name is, I am who I am. And this is what you ought to say to the Israelites. I am has sent you, has sent me to you. And God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, the Lord, when you see the Lord written like that, it is Yahweh, all right? The God of your fathers, etc., has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you shall call me from generation to generation, Yahweh. I am that I am. The very clever Derek Morphew says this. If we to understand the kingdom of God, we must understand the divine name. He says this. If... One could put the whole meaning field of this name and context into a sentence, it would be, this is Yahweh, are you ready to rumble? I was, I am, 
and I will be from generation to generation the becoming present one coming down into the situation of humankind to deliver and transform from bondage to liberty. That's what the divine name means. I'll read it again, don't worry, because I need to. Yahweh, I am that I am, isn't just what we think it is. It's so much more. I was, I am, I will be from generation to generation, the becoming present one coming down into the situation of humankind to deliver and transform from bondage to liberty. Woo! And that's what he's saying there. Tell the Egyptians and anyone who will listen, that's my name forever and ever, amen. I'm the God who becomes present, who has always been coming down to liberate my people, to set them on a new trajectory, never to leave them where they are. Woo! If you want God to leave you where you're at, his name is Yahweh. And he's not going to leave us alone. Verse uh, 19. I'm going to wrap it up with a summation. God says to Moses, But I know that the king of Egypt, that Pharaoh, who's not such a Pharaoh, will not let you go. Look at this. Unless a mighty hand, say mighty hand. Unless a mighty hand compels him, so I will stretch out my hand and strike. Look at that language. Strike the Egyptians with all the wonders that I will perform among them. And after that, he'll let you go. What does this speak about? Friends, the kingdom of God is also about a confrontation. Say confrontation. When the kingdom comes, it is about a confrontation of every demonic power at work in people's lives to shift it over regions. Look at that. It is a power encounter. You cannot have the kingdom of God without a demonstration of power. Some of you have listened to some of Sid's stories. He goes into regions and they're preaching a recent, one of our meetings at Fraser's recently, Songoma sitting at the back, ran out. What was that about? Was that just her little chant? No, the kingdom of God was pressing in and not permitting anything in her life that would hinder her from the trajectory of the kingdom of God. And you know what I found amazing in the church? You can cry in church and it's cool. But if you start seeing demonstrations of power, hey, that church, sorry, man. You see, power confronts. Not only demon powers and ruling powers, but can I tell you what power confronts? It confronts the idolatry of our own lives. Oh my gosh. <laughs> the, the Gadarene demoniac, here's a little aside. Gadarene demoniac, he's got 2,000 demons in him. Yo, he's a big guy. Must, be, must have been obese, you know. Big, big dude. 2,000 demons. They couldn't chain him. He was living amongst the tombs. Wild, wild, wild. And I remember Keith actually preaching on this. You might not remember. In 2009, in the Sheen School Hall, and I never forgot it. Jesus comes and liberates this bloke. You would imagine that the crew in the area were so excited. No. They told 
Jesus to humble. He said, leave us alone. Can I tell you why? Because they had so wandered from God. They had started accommodating herding pigs, for example. They had made room in their hearts for all sorts of things that were not akin to the life of the kingdom of God in their lives. And what was being confronted was not only the legion in that man, but the idolatry in their hearts. There's a confrontation. And let, let me tell you, it's not just demons coming out, it's conviction. And so from chapter 4 through 14, I'll quickly move on. Mighty signs and wonders. And uh, a displacing and a destroying of the gods of Egypt. All the scholars know this, that when, when God turned uh, you know, the river to, to blood, it wasn't just physical things. It was actually a confrontation of the idolatrous worship of the gods. For example, the Nile turning to blood was Yahweh triumphing over Osiris, Isis, Horus, and, a, and especially Hopi, who was not very happy that the, the river turned to blood. And then gnats and sandflies was God trying, triumphing over the, the god Cheb. And the list goes on, all right? And then at the end, when the judging angel comes and they're in the blood and the firstborn is killed, what was that? It was a confrontation of the god Ra, the false son of Ra, a false messiah. Friends, it was power. And then they were set free. And then the enemy chased them down. And when they passed through the water, God shut down all the works of the enemy. In those two moments, we see something. Redemption by the blood and washing by the water. Let, let me just say this as a quick aside. Water baptism, friends, doesn't save you. Jesus saves you. And your little faith in the full faith of Christ. But there's something powerful about water baptism. It is a statement to the demon gods. It's a statement to the little idols that lurk in our lives. You have no power over me. And I want to say this to you. If you've never been baptized in water, come tell us. We will dunk you with great delight. And then finally, whew, praise the Lord. Such a quick sermon. Nearly. Hallelujah. Nicholas, take it easy. Take it easy. <laughs> God does all this stuff, and what does the kingdom look like? The kingdom looks like a celebration. Yeah! Because in chapter 15, it says the song of Moses and Miriam. I know the kingdom of God is erupting in people's lives when in worship or at home or they're in their car. They're just packing boxes for Jesus. They're just super excited. Because when the kingdom of God comes in our lives, something begins to erupt. And all we want to do is sing about the king. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song. It's the first kingdom confession. The first kingdom worship session, if you want to call it that. Way before Hillsong, way before Winds of Worship, way before whatever it was when... when Yes, way before the Gaithers in the name of Jesus. Does anyone actually besides my mom listen to the Gaithers? Yeah, don't put up your hand. <laughs> oh, we love the Gaithers. I will sing to the Lord. 
for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he is hurled into the sea. Yahweh is my strength and my defense. Another word there, song. He has become my salvation. He is my God and I will praise him, my Father's God, and I will exalt him. Look at this. Important, the divine name. This is how he was revealing himself, the kingdom. The Lord is a warrior. Woo! The Lord is his name. Pharaoh's chariots and his army he has hurled into the sea. The best of Pharaoh's officers are drowned in the Red Sea or the Sea of Reeds. The deep waters have covered them. They sank to the depths like a stone. Your right hand, Lord, was majestic in power. Your right hand, Yahweh, shattered the enemy. In the greatness of your majesty, you threw down those who opposed you. You unleashed your burning anger, not against humanity, against demon gods. By the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up. The surging waters stood up like a wall, etc., etc., etc. It's awesome. Verse 12, you stretch out your right hand and the earth swallows your enemies. In your, cannot boast too much about it, unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. Fast forward, verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance. The place, O Lord, you made for their home. The sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. And this is what they said at the end. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Their confession is, the Lord is a warrior. And their confession at the end is the Lord reigns. That word reigns, friends, comes from the root word for king. And it can mean this, the Lord is king or the Lord reigns forever and ever. The Exodus is a kaleidoscope of little insights into the kingdom of God. And here is a quick summation of the kingdom characteristics that we must hold true to. The kingdom comes in grace. Two, the kingdom comes in his presence and rem he remains by his presence. Three, he comes in partnership. The kingdom comes in partnership through calling and commission. The kingdom comes in power to confront slave drivers which is redemption. Friends, redemption is not about being forgiven of your sins. Redemption technically is when the power of God breaks chains over people. He comes, the kingdom comes for his people and to forge a people. The kingdom comes with mission for his people to the promised land. And there is always a kingdom confession, evidence, that the kingdom is coming in our lives or in a community, the triumphant call is the Lord reigns. The Lord is king. Not only does he save, not only does he deliver, not only does he heal, no, 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 no. The true mark of the kingdom of God is you, O Lord, Christ, you are king. And I said last week, and with this I close, are you all good? Not bad, actually. I said that the kingdom of God is four things. The kingdom of God is where the king is present. In the Exodus, was the king present? The kingdom of God is the king present, reigning in the midst of his people. 
was Yahweh doing that in the Exodus? Let my people go that they might worship me. The kingdom of God is also about covenant. Was there covenant commitment in the Exodus? Yes. It was a covenant of the Mosaic law foreshadowing what the law of the Spirit. We live by the Spirit, not the Mosaic law. I want to make that clear, but there's, there's covenant in the Exodus. And I said that the kingdom of God is God ruling through and with His people on mission. Was that evident in the Exodus? Absolutely. Friends, shall we stand together? Woo! Jesus, that was a long time ago. You are the fulfillment of it. We say your kingdom come here in this shed and in this region on earth as it is in heaven. I ask in Jesus' mighty name that you would take up ruling residence in our lives and that there would be an eruption of the kingdom confession. The Lord is king. But this is what I pray. Two things, Lord. One, as your kingdom comes in our lives, that you would lay siege with your power and your might to idols in my life and our idols in our lives. Would you displace any idolatry in Jesus' mighty name and would you shift it even as Dagon in the presence of the ark fell down, head off, hands off. I pray that any authority and ability of lingering idolatry in our lives in Jesus' name breaks now. And I pray, secondly, as a result, O oh Lord our God, as you displace and dislodge things in us, I pray that in this region, by your power, you will dislodge and dismantle every work of darkness in Jesus' name. Lord, I pray for marriages in this place. Lord, as I die to myself and live for Melissa, I pray that in the company of this house, that there would be a dislodging of demonic statistics of adultery and those stupid swinging clubs in the name of Jesus where they drop stuff into hats. Lord, I pray that you would shift that in this region. You would shift it in the name of Jesus, not because we're shouting at anybody, but because we say your kingdom come in our lives. That you would shift greed and living for money in this region. Why? Because you shift the idols in our lives, O oh Lord. We say your kingdom come. And your will be done in and through the churches. I think of Co-Church and Christ Church and all of them, Lord, all the way that way and that way and Shaka's Rock and Shaka's Car. Oh God, your kingdom come. And establish your rule and reign here on earth as it is in heaven. And everybody says... Amen.